This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Olivia Kuei. Welcome to The Straits Times' Big Story podcast, where we analyze key issues with our journalists and guest experts. Professor Chiu Yik-Ying joins me now. He's the Dean of the Saw Three Hawk School of Public Health at NUS. Welcome back to the show, Prof. Well, Book and Mera views growing cluster. What does that situation tell us? Are our measures not enough to curb the spread? Or are they, in fact, robust enough that we're able to pick up a lot more cases which could have gone undetected otherwise? Or is it that the virus is even more transmissible than we think? So thank you for having me back. I think the, the dominant strain of the virus that is circulating in Singapore, which we call the Delta variant, is definitely a lot more transmissible. And we are only starting to learn exactly how much more transmissible this is. So from the UK, they estimated that the reproductive number of the Delta variant is between five to eight. And if we take the higher estimate of eight, it actually means that one person will spread to eight others after one cycle. And this expands to 64 after two cycles and 512 infected cases after three cycles. Now, if we compare this with the wild-type variant that the world saw in early parts of 2020, which has a reproductive number of between two to three, we are really looking at 27 infected cases after three cycles. So in three cycles, one person will spread to 512 other people if that first person was infected with the Delta variant. Whereas previously, we are only looking at 27 others after three cycles. And this is exactly what we mean when we say that the virus is now a lot more transmissible. And besides, I use the word cycle. So for the strain that we saw last year, we were looking at each cycle of between five to 10 days. But actually now for the current variant, the Delta variant, each cycle now appears to be even shorter that people can be contagious after only one to two days. So not only are we looking at the Delta variant spreading to more people, the speed of this spread is also happening faster. So if we come back to your question about whether our measures are sufficient to catch the spread, to curb the spread, it is clear that our measures to get people to work from home, not to permit dining in, effectively curbing social interactions. This have all worked to reduce human interactions and human traffic in public spaces. We have also seen how case numbers did fall to single digits again after about two to three weeks with these measures. So we know they work well and they can work again. But what we, what we need to realize is really that because of this Delta variant, community transmissions now have a much higher chance of being a super spreader event. Previously, we call this a super spreader event and it's deemed to be quite rare and only happen during very high risk activities, such as we have large groups of people coming together, karaoke singing, talking together without masks for a long time. But now it seems that short-term interactions may already be sufficient to seed large clusters. And so I think we really need to change our game plan to stay ahead. And we, we have done that with our expanded surveillance testings of large groups of people getting first degree contacts, their family, household members to stay in isolation for seven days well, and more. Or we actually need to start changing our mindset towards COVID-19 as well. If our long-term game plan is to consider this as an endemic disease. 
Well, let's uh, talk more about dining in, you know, which is one of the things that, you know, we're all most looking forward to, to do again. Well, ever since last week, F&B businesses have made preparations to welcome back diners on Monday. But with Mr. Wong's update yesterday, uncertainty lingers. So instead of having a blanket rule, shall we, shall we say, of completely not allowing dining in services, are there more nuanced approaches that can be explored, perhaps, you know, to allow dining in for groups of two or allow it in outdoor settings like hawker centres with which have you know better airflow and ventilation so as mentioned previously it's a very difficult decision to make and and it goes beyond the public health considerations and you mentioned the outdoor settings such as hawker centres i think it's is perhaps useful to highlight that uh, hawker centres themselves may not be entirely free from the risk of outbreaks either because we have seen that what is happening right now in the recent food centre outbreaks are happening in Bukit Merah View, Red Hill. These are food centres that we are talking about. And I think the reason why we're starting to see these outbreaks happening in markets and food centres or even previously supermarkets and malls is because these are the locations that people are more likely to congregate now in larger crowds. If we have allowed people to go back to work or we have allowed dining in or more social activities, actually, we would see equally work sites or work venues or social activities venues to be, to be the drivers of these outbreaks. And because our vaccination uptake in the population is not sufficiently high yet, we would still need to be fairly cautious in deciding what is permitted and to what extent. Because based on the case numbers, especially the unlinked case numbers, I actually think that we can permit some degree of dining in to resume. But this needs to be communicated very clearly to the public that the situation remains very precarious and we encourage people to dine in only if they are from the same households because right now the rule is you could have five people to dine in. So perhaps dine in in, in restaurants or in eateries, hawker centres if you are within the same household. Try to essentially minimise any cross-household interactions or, or, or just coming together for social gatherings. It's a tricky situation. And I think I don't I don't claim to have the answers to all of the questions that you have asked, but I do believe that we can allow for some relaxation of the restrictions, but we do require the cooperation and the understanding from members of the public in this. Well, Professor, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks as always for your time. That was Professor Tio Yiking, Dean of NUS's Sorcery Hawk School of Public Health. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.